you have your Bibles tonight and you would, find the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew with us as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We've been looking at a series about keeping the main things, the main things, and how easy it is to get sidetracked on things that are good but are not what God would have for us. And tonight we're going to try to cover quite a bit uh, just because I think it is important because as Jesus is uh, working himself to the cross, he's just beginning to transition um, from doing the miracles and the works to begin to teach the disciples that, ha- that something is coming. Something is coming that's going to be very difficult for you. It's going to be very difficult for you to comprehend. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to be traveling with someone and, and, and spending my life with someone and watching him heal the sick and give sight to the blind and and drive out the demons that are possessing people, and then for him to begin to talk that I'm going to be delivered up, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed. And you think, well, this doesn't make sense. We're at the pinnacle of success. I mean, we're, we're, we're watching people be fed by the thousands over just a little bit of food. We're watching, we're watching things happen that cannot be explained as Jesus walked on the water. And so I don't know if you've ever felt like that or not, but just when things seem to be going the best, someone pulls the rug out from under you. And I just imagine that's what the disciples are going through here tonight as we begin to look at this. And if you would pray with me, we're going to start right in. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us, Lord, to trust you in all situations. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek you in all situations. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to continue to focus on you what you are doing, and what is important to you. So, Father, I pray tonight that you would give us the faith to follow you wherever that is, and whatever you asked us to do. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me, Lord, that you would use me for your glory, not just for another sermon, Lord, but to preach your word with power and boldness, believing that you can change lives. So, Father, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight I want to show you that Three things, and so I'm sorry I threw you off this morning with four points, but tonight that Jesus explains to them the difficulties to come. Jesus begins to explain to them the difficulties to come. And tonight I want you to know this, that if you are going to serve Jesus, difficulties are going to come. You are going to face trials and tribulations in your walk with the Lord. And so starting here in verse 21 uh, in chapter 16, It says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now I want you to go back in verse 21. From that time, what has just transpired in the verses before that? Jesus literally told them that the keys to the kingdom are yours. You can work and move. 
that, that what you agree to on in heaven, it will be done on earth. I mean, that's a pretty powerful statement, even if they didn't understand it fully. But I don't know if you remember what it was like to be given your car keys for the first time at 16. Some of you were driving much younger than that. I don't think any of you were given the reins to your horse and buggy, but I'll leave that alone. But that, <laughs> I don't think that. I could be wrong, but did you imagine, can you remember what that was like? You know, you'd thought about driving. You probably had, had, a, had a, a pretty girl or a, a good-looking boy that was going to come pick you up, and you heard them keys jingling. You thought, "Woo! I'm in charge now, right? I'm going to get to make some decisions. And, you know, that, that feeling of, empowerment. Maybe when you remember buying your first house and you got those keys and you thought, this is ours. Man, this is, this is our home. Just imagine that if Jesus, who you believe to be the Son of God, says something like that to you. You're thinking, we've arrived. We have finally become who we need to be. And he begins to teach them that I'm going to have to die. Now, if you know anything about what has been going on in this chapter, you know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had been bothering Jesus continually. And so the Pharisees are probably uh, still at work and moving and doing things. And Jesus begins to say, I'm going to be given to them. I'm going to be delivered over to them. And so if you're a, a disciple of Jesus, you're thinking, but you're, those people hate you the most. Why would you let them take you? Why would you let them do this to you? And so just imagine tonight what would be going through their mind. But Jesus was explaining to them that difficulties come. And tonight you and I need to know something, that God is good. The Bible says that all good and perfect gifts come from above. And we looked at that in my Sunday school class today and why it says good and perfect. Did you ever wonder that? Well, one is good means that it's a gift. The perfect means it is able to meet your need. You see, I have been given gifts that weren't very good, right? They didn't really, they just were stuff, right? I appreciated them, but they weren't good for much. But I've had some gifts that I thought, that's what I'm talking about. That's going to meet the need that I have. And what it says there in James is that God has given you a gift, but it's not a gift you want to return. It's not a gift that you question why. It's a gift that gives you the ability to overcome the temptations and trials that come in life. And so tonight, I really want you to know that when you think that everything is going to be easy or that there will be no trials, if trials came to Jesus and trials came to the disciples, tonight you need to prepare that one day trials will come. I don't think I have to tell most of you that. Most of you have lived long enough to know Trials and tribulations come. The persecution for our faith comes. But listen to what the Bible says in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, starting in verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch. At Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all 
who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Paul says, I have suffered, but God has been faithful. And then he says, if you are going to live Christ-like, you are all going to suffer persecution. Tonight, if Paul says it, and it is in the Word of God, we must quit trying to tell people that everything is easy once they become a Christian. The only reason tonight that you are not suffering persecution at some point for your faith is because you are not living Christ-like. If you are talking about holiness, if you're trying to live a life of repentance, if you're trying to live a life that teaches the Word of God to your children and to your grandchildren, and you're trying to take stands for things that God's Word says are wrong or right, you will face persecution. Now, let's be clear, clear here. I have known enough Baptists that love to fight that thought that's what persecution was. Well, we'll fight, we'll argue, we'll split, we'll divide, we can't get along, and that's persecution. No, but living Christ-like. I think it is fitting that today is the sanctity of life. And if you didn't get the literature or the little baby in the lobby, we want you to take that. But I can promise you that if you believe, like I believe, and tell people that you believe that there is no acceptable case to murder a child in the womb, you will face persecution. It will start like this. What if someone is raped? I do not condone rape. It is a sin. It is wrong. It is wrong in every single case. But the child did no wrong. And that child should be given for adoption if necessary. Some of you are already thinking in your mind, I don't like where this is going. That's okay. I'm just going to keep on going. Then you would say, well, what if there is something wrong with the child? I don't know if you know this or not, but we have spent a fair amount of time in baby doctor offices in our life of our marriage. And every time they ask us, we would like to do a test to make sure that that child doesn't have something wrong. And every time we tell them, we're not interested. That child is going to be ours no matter what challenges that that child has. So I believe, even when it is the child's life that could be difficult, that life should be chosen. I believe it was, I believe it was um, not Denmark, but one of those countries over there who this recently on an article had promoted the fact that they had completely eradicated down syndrome in their country and they were celebrating the fact that down syndrome was not an issue anymore what they don't tell you is they were murdering babies in the womb that potentially had down syndrome now, i don't know if you know this or not but that's wrong it's sin and it is never acceptable in the eyes of god and then third and finally the, the one where you might disagree with me tonight and that is okay you're wrong. As when the life of the mother is in jeopardy. You see, I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can give life and take life. But even in that case, if you hold to the belief that I'm going to trust God and his provision, I can promise you that you will face persecution. But my Bible teaches that your days are appointed. And I believe that God can keep me 
and God can keep you, and God can keep my wife safe until he's ready for us. And so just those three issues alone, if you will begin to share those with people, I can promise you persecution will come. What about other things in today's world? What about believing in the sanctity of marriage? That God established that one man and one woman should love each other, cherish each other, till death do them part. I can promise you that if you hold to a biblical view of that, you will be persecuted. Today, I promise you that if you hold to a belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that you cannot be saved by baptism, you cannot be saved by good works, you cannot be served by being morally good, that you will face persecution. And so verse 12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That doesn't mean you might have to suffer all the time. That doesn't mean that every day you wake up and say, Lord, who's going to hit me today? No, that's not what it means. But you will, from time to time, suffer persecution. Paul had times of great relief and great blessing. And he had great times of persecution and prison ministry. In verse 14 of that same chapter, it goes on and says, verse 13, excuse me, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so if it was bad for Paul, it will be worse for us. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I won't read verses in 16 and 17, but you're probably familiar with them, that all scripture is given by God. And so... But tonight I want you to hear that because we need to be prepared for spiritual warfare. We don't go looking for trouble. We don't go looking for problems. And I know many Christians get on Facebook with the intent of upsetting everyone that they are friends with. That should not be your desire. The Bible says, when possible, live at peace with all men. But Paul says you need to understand something. Until Jesus comes again, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you and I have two options. We can quit. We can say the lost don't need to hear the gospel. That sanctity of human life doesn't matter. That marriage isn't worth fighting for. That the education of our children doesn't matter in what they learn. Or you and I can do what Paul says and remember what you've learned. Remember what the scripture says and be willing to stand. Be willing to proclaim. Be willing to say it doesn't matter what it costs me. If God says it, I believe it. And I want you to know this tonight. I see very few of that in churches. I see very few pastors that way. And so tonight, I pray that our church would be a church that says we are willing to suffer for Jesus. We are willing to stand when no one else will stand. We're willing to fight for the things God wants us to fight for, no matter the cost. You say, well, Jake, that's not a big deal. I can promise you it is. You say, well, Jake, I've never seen anything like that. Well, be more involved. Get more involved, do more evangelism, do more soul winning, do more knocking on doors and just wait and see 
the persecution will come. Second thing I want to show you tonight, that Jesus explained to them that difficulties were going to come. But then he shows them that they must follow through the difficulties. They must follow through the difficulties. Look what it says here, starting in verse 24 of that chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, Jesus tells them that he is going to suffer persecution. And you know what they're thinking, if you're like me. Well, if I'm close proximity, I'm probably going to suffer too. I'm probably going to have to go through some things. And so he then pivots and begins to tell them that if you want Jesus, if the Spirit of God has convicted you of your need to follow Jesus, then you have to deny yourself. You have to be willing to say, my life is no longer mine. And this is something that we have lost in churches. We have lost the teaching that when someone gets saved, you have to forsake your old life. You have to forsake your old self. You are no longer in charge of your life. He is the captain of the ship. And he gives the marching orders. He gives the instructions. He gives the love and the care and the nurture and all of those things as we go. But my life is not mine. But what I see so much of today is... I want heaven, but I want my life as well. I don't mind to give God little parts of my life, but he cannot have all of it. That's why we see it in churches. We see how people, they love to come when it's convenient and give when it's convenient and serve when it's convenient. But when something comes to a point where I have to choose, I need to follow Jesus and sacrifice what I want. The choice many times is what? what I want. And so tonight, Jesus makes it abundantly clear here that if you want him, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Adrian Rogers has a quote here that I really like in, on Matthew 16, verse 26. He says, the definition of failure is succeeding at the wrong things. You can be successful in business and dishonor God. Or you can be successful in business and honor God. You can be a parent that everyone loves, but yet not the parent that God wants you to be. You can be a, a wonderful husband and love your spouse and care for your spouse, but yet if you don't love them the way Jesus wants you to, it was good, but it wasn't godly. And so tonight, I really want you to be thinking about your life as God has been convicting me and dealing with me. What have I allowed to come into my life that I know God doesn't want, but I enjoy? I enjoy having it. 
So look what it says in verse 25 there. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I pray that the days of persecution that this book talks about do not come in my lifetime. I pray and I believe in my personal belief that the rapture is the next big event on God's timeline. That's what I believe. And I am not at all ashamed to not want to go through the tribulation period. I'm wimpy. I'm okay with it. I want God to come and take me and my saved family to heaven. But friends, this morning I want you to know something. There is coming a day when people will lose their life in this country for their faith. It's happening all over the world. China, India, Pakistan, Egypt, all of those countries around the world, people will lose their life for their faith. But look what it says in verse 26. For what profit it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Friend, what does it do any good to be the greatest at whatever in the world and miss Jesus? What is the point of giving your kids everything they could possibly ever dream of, but yet them missing Jesus and missing heaven? He just tells them, what is there more valuable than a soul? And as a church, I pray that in a day and time when most people are terrified to share their faith, most people are being told that you cannot have an exclusive view of salvation, that we would never forget that the most valuable gift that God ever gave outside of salvation was a soul. It is valuable. It will spend eternity somewhere. And God wants us to be about reaching those. It goes on there and says that there, he will come again and he will reward each one according to his works. You said, Jake, you just said that salvation is not about works. He's talking about rewards. He's talking about the rewards that you will get as a believer, not earning your salvation. You see, the Bible literally says, what does it profit if we speak in tongues or lay down our life if we have not love? Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16, describes it like this. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those who will those things be which you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hopefully you know that Jesus was not saying it's sinful to build a bigger barn. What he's saying is when your treasures become more important here than they are in heaven, you are a fool. You are a fool. You say, Jake, I can't believe you called me a fool. I didn't call you a fool, but if that's you, it is applicable. And so tonight, God wants you to know that he wants you to be about his business, no matter what it cost. And don't worry, the third and final point is a little more cheerful than the first two. 
Jesus gives them an opportunity to be encouraged as they begin to face the difficulties ahead. Now, I know that's a little bit long, but I don't want you to miss it. Jesus gives them an opportunity to be encouraged as they begin to face the difficulty ahead. Chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now, after six days. So he lets them stew on this for six days. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not very patient. I wouldn't want to think about this for six days. But after six days, it says here, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now, I didn't pick two outer body experiences here, like this morning and tonight, about people coming back from the other side. The Lord just had that there. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I don't think it's an accident that the Father speaks and says, Hear him, after he has just told them some incredibly difficult things. I'm going to go to be turned over, going to die. <laughs> and if you want to follow after me, you're going to have to be willing to what? Die. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty long six days probably. And then these men get to go with Jesus on a mountain. And from heaven they hear, this is my beloved son. Hear him. That's one of those moments when your kids are like, well, if you say so. Right? I don't like that, but I'm going to listen. But can you imagine the encouragement that that would have been? In verse 6 it says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. But when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision till no one, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. You see, Jesus not only has given them these difficult words to hear, but he has let them experience something that gave them hope. And you see, today I want you to know something that following Jesus is not always easy. Following Jesus sometimes costs us more than we want to pay. But God wants you to know tonight that it's worth it. It is worth it to follow Jesus. These disciples were able to experience something that encouraged them, that uplifted them, that terrified them. But yet they had what God wanted them to have to keep going. 
And you say, Jake, well, if I had an experience like that, if I got to meet with them on the mountain, then I would have no problems following Jesus. Well, I'm glad you think that. Because you've had an experience much greater than they did. They met two men who were just men. Great men, by the way. Great men. But friends, you have met the God of heaven. The Holy Spirit of God. The third member of the Trinity. One day, through his convicting power, began to speak to your heart. And convict you of the fact that you were a sinner. He then began to reveal to you the fact that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. That he is the son of God. The perfect lamb of God. That he loved you so much that he went to the cross and took your sin and your shame and your guilt. And began to show you that Jesus hung on that cross to take the punishment that you deserved and that I deserved. And begin to show us in our hearts and in our life that this same Jesus who died for us, was buried and rose again. He did that. You say, Jake, I did that. No, God did that. The convicting power of a holy, loving God met you where you were. You say, well, that's not near as fantastic as a mountaintop experience. No, it was greater. Because God found you in the muck. And God found you in the miry clay. And God found you in your brokenness. And God found you in your hurt. And God found you in your pain. And God reached down to you and said, You are hopeless without me. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You are broken beyond repair on your own. But I can make you brand new. And the Spirit of God convicted you of that. And when you repented, the Spirit of God made you alive. You experienced the new birth. And He came to live within you and sealed you for forever. You say, well, it's still not as cool as what they experienced. That's okay. That experience didn't save James, John, and Peter. But the one I just described to you saved your soul. You see, we have to get back away from this identity that everything should be amazing. Everything should be wonderful. Everything should be flashy. Everything should be so spectacular and realize that the still small voice is just as God as the whirlwind. That the spirit of God working in my heart. You say, well, Jake, I don't always like conviction. I got you. <laughs> I don't always like it either, but I am thankful for it because that's the spirit of God. Dealing with my heart. And I don't know if you know this or not. But I'm an extreme bonehead. And the spirit of God has to convict me a lot. And I don't always like it. But I'm thankful for it. Because God is dealing with me. And so tonight. Whether it is the fact that the spirit of God has encouraged you through worship. The spirit of God has encouraged you through preaching. The spirit of God encourages you through Christian music. The spirit of God has worked in your life in so many ways. Tonight, that is for you to be encouraged that the God that loves you, the God that saved you, that God might allow you to go through difficult times, but that there is hope as you face those times. I want to read one more thing to you tonight, and I will close. Psalm 121 was a series of psalms that were sung by travelers. They would have been sung 
um, to trust that God could get them from one place to another. And I think that is fitting tonight because this world is not our home. We are just traveling through. Many of us have decided that this is where we want to put down roots. This is where the hope is at. And friends, I am telling you, there is not a home big enough or nice enough to compare to the mansion that God has prepared for those of us that love him. And so I want you to listen to the words of this psalm and think about an earthly traveler, but also how applicable it is to us who are spiritual travelers heading home. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Don't miss that. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord. It goes on and says that he will not allow your foot to be moved. And tonight you need to know that whether you were traveling or whether you were standing, that he is the foundation. He is what we are hoping and building upon. He goes on and says that he will not slumber. There is not a time that you will face difficulties. There is not a time that you'll face persecution. There is not a time when it seems the whole world around you that God is not aware of your situation. Now, I know you've never experienced this tonight, but I can throw an amazing pity party for myself. I can I have to repent of it regularly. And if you've ever been there where you felt the people that you thought you trusted were against you, that the people you thought you could rely on had abandoned you, it is easy to sometimes think, woe is me. But this psalm says, if you're a traveler, God does not slumber. God has not forgotten about you. God has not forsaken you. He goes on and says, the Lord is my keeper means that he will not let you go. He will not abandon you on the road. I uh, can't imagine what it's like to travel anywhere of any length. Driving to Mount Vernon with our family is a train wreck. Um, <laughs> and I am pretty much decided that if I ever take a long vacation with our family, my one ear doesn't work and I will put it full of stuff on the other one to make sure that I don't hear with it either. But I cannot getting, imagine getting out on the road and having trouble and abandoning my family. We got a flat tire. I'm going to hitchhike. You guys can make it when you get there. He would say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But yet what the Lord is saying is, I will keep you as you go. You cannot run off and leave him. You cannot, you cannot run ahead of him. He is with you as you go. Whether you're in the mountain top. Or whether you are in the valley, he is with you. Whether you are resting because you are so weary and broken that you cannot go, he is with you. 
or whether you are running at a pace that is faster than you've ever run, he is with you. Funny story about running. I was uh, uh, in the hallway here today, and Jeanette can vouch for this, and the back door was still locked, and I heard her, I heard her someone pull on the back door, and I saw that it was Jeanette, and I thought, some people I wouldn't run, they could walk around the church, but it's Jeanette, so I'm going to run back there and get the door, and from that little corner to there, I thought I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> But I ran to get the door open so she could get in. And, and so don't ask me if you were one of those people I'd walk around because I might just tell you, no, just kidding. Just don't, just kidding. But the Lord is not leavable. and He will not leave you. Don't miss this as it goes on. And he says once again that he will not what? Slumber nor sleep. And then he begins to, to talk to you about the phases of life. The sun will not destroy you in the day. The moon will not destroy you at night. Evil will not get you. But God will preserve you. And so tonight where I want you to know that persecution is real. Difficulties happen. But for you and I who are saved. You and I who truly know the Lord. He will not abandon us. He will be with us in the most difficult of times. He will be with us in the best of times. And so tonight, when we, as we close this sermon, you can look at it in a couple of different ways. First, as an individual, there is not a place or a broken situation that you can get yourself into that God is not able to be with you. Tonight, whether it is your sin, whether it's tonight your pride, maybe tonight you're here and you're saying, Jake, I don't have a relationship with the Lord like that. I go to church, but I don't know him. Friends, I do not want you to go to hell from the bar stool or the church pew. And you can go to hell from both of them. And so tonight, if you're not here saying, I know in whom I believe. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. Friends, tonight you can. You can have that. But tonight, maybe you're here and it's your family and you're saying, Jake, our family we got some problems in our family. we got some situations that, that I'm worried about, that I, I'm, I'm concerned about, I'm burdened about. Tonight, you can come. Lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, help me to be who you want me to be. Help me to stand for your truth and your word and love to the people that I care about the most. Finally tonight, for our church, our church will always have a target on its back. Just will. There are things that our church will be criticized for that a church of 12 won't. It's what happens when you take someone that has the stupidity that I have and promote it to thousands and thousands of people via Facebook. <laughs> You're going to get some pushback. It's just the way it is. But the question is, are we willing to stand? Are we willing to follow what Jesus would have us to do no matter the cost? You say, well, it's not going to cost me anything, Jake, because I'm not the one up there saying those things that everybody else is listening to. If you don't think you're guilty by association, friends, you are mistaken. Whether that is good or bad, I can promise you over the last 10 years, there have been moments when someone asks you, do you go to 10 Mile? You're probably thinking, yes, or what did Jake do now, right? We're all sinners. We all fall short. But tonight, in a world that is hating Jesus more and more, and hating the things of God more and more, are you and I willing to stand?
Maybe tonight that's just us coming and praying. God, help us to continue to fight for the things that you want us to fight for. And so if you would pray with me tonight as you stand and Jamie comes. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I know I didn't do it justice. Lord, I know that I stuttered and stammered and, and lose track of my thoughts, God. But I pray tonight that your word would be effective. Father, I pray for that parent who is struggling with a prodigal child, with that grandparent whose grandchildren have abandoned the faith. Father, I pray for those individuals here tonight that have struggling marriages in their home and in their family. Lord, I pray tonight that there are people that are just blessed and they want to come and say, God, thank you for being with me during my cancer treatments. Lord, thank you for being with us when we lost that job. Lord, just thank you for being you. And so tonight, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be prepared, to be willing to follow you, but also to encourage each other and to be encouraged by you. Lord, I want to thank you for those people who are encouragers, who are willing to encourage and to stand and support and, and to fight together, not against each other, Lord, for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that you would knit this church's heart together, that you would knit us in one mind, Lord, seeking your glory in every way. So, Father, tonight I pray that you'd save in this place. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's saved and never been baptized, that tonight they'd step out and come. Or, Lord, whatever else that you have laid on their heart tonight, that they would do business with you. And, Father, I'm going to ask it all in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking the Holy Spirit's been working that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.